Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. And I just have a word on my heart this morning, Um, a a prophetic word, really. It's going to take us a minute to get there, um, but we're going to make it. So if you could turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 20, we're going to look at a familiar passage this morning and just kind of work our way through. And then I just want to prophesy over you this morning. And um, this is about King Jehoshaphat. And I always feel a little disrespectful saying his name, but Jehoshaphat, I'm not sure what his figure was like. But sometimes I feel like I should call him Jehosa Skinny, but it's in the Bible. So uh, verse 1, it starts off with not just one army, but armies surrounding the people of God. And uh, there's a whole list of armies and men came to tell Jehoshaphat, we are literally surrounded on every side with our enemy. And uh, it says in verse three that after, after Jehoshaphat got this news, it says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And so, you know, that word afraid, when I looked it up, it really means afraid and also terrified. And there's just a list of ways to keep saying very afraid. And, you know, what Jehoshaphat did in his fear was he immediately set his face to seek the Lord. And, you know, I just want to pause here for a second because sometimes we can think in a moment when we get horrific news, you know, like we, we have been getting waves of horrific news in, in the last several weeks. And some of you have been deeply impacted in your health, in your business, in your finances. And, uh, you know, the news is coming in waves that we have been surrounded on all sides by an enemy. And here in this moment, when news comes, you know what a religious spirit wants us to do is box in how you respond. Uh, You can't feel that. You can't feel that. Don't feel that. Don't feel that. And, you know, a religious spirit is constantly squeezing the life out of your heart. (laughs) And you know what? Uh, Jesus came trumpeting that true worshipers, they would come before him in the spirit of truth, that true worshipers would come in spirit and in truth. And in all of our life, the most appropriate response is the authentic one. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's interesting because sometimes, because we're so aware, the Bible says over and over again, do not fear, do not fear. We can treat it like a rule And when we do feel afraid, we can feel guilt and shame, like I'm doing something wrong, I'm doing something wrong. But, you know, Justin was in the school um, 
back before we moved to Zoom school, which has been phenomenal. Uh, and he was brilliantly teaching on the difference between the emotion of fear and a spirit of fear. And the emotion of fear is a part of your humanity. And that will never go away. And if, if you're um, experiencing fear, I just wanna congratulate you on being still alive. And, you know, the, the emotion of fear is an invitation. And, and what is it an invitation to? It's an invitation into an upgrade of perfect love. And it becomes a spirit of fear when we make that invitation into a destination. And instead of turning our face to a perfect father, we turn our face to behold the fear. And, you know, Sons experience fear in a much different way than orphans do because orphans have nowhere to turn with their emotional experience. And when we experience something that feels bigger than us, an orphan spirit starts daydreaming with fear. How, how, what is the worst thing that could come of this? And I gotta be prepared. I, I've gotta start thinking my way through. How can I best handle this? What is the wisest thing I can do? How can I protect my family? And um, you know, an orphan spirit, it, it reduces our life down to ourselves. I am the final say on my safety. I'm the, fin I'm the final say on my financial, my financial health. I'm the final say on the health in my body. There's no one bigger than me looking out for me. And, and that at, at the core is the lowest level of poverty. When there's no one bigger than me, there's not a resource beyond me. You know, my, my children, some of them have pennies, some of them have dollars, and some of them are in the negatives from borrowing from the tooth fairy. But none of them are poor because at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, their resources are not defined by what they have. Their resources are defined by what their parents have. And as sons and daughters of the living God, when fear comes in, it's our invitation to not define our well-being by what we possess. It's an invitation to step into sonship and say, I have a father who's bigger than me. I have a father who's beyond me. I don't measure my future well-being by what I can do within myself. And Jehoshaphat is modeling for us. He didn't, he didn't first call all the wisest counsel around himself so they could think their way through the best military strategy. He, he didn't start logically making conclusions on how are we gonna handle being literally surrounded on every side by an enemy. He set his terrified face to seek the Lord and he showed the Lord, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And you know, Psalm says, those who look to him are never covered in shame. And when we, when we look to the Lord, there's no shame in the experience because, you know, the, the, the religious spirit wants you to believe the outcome of this war depends on you getting it right. 
I gotta feel the right thing, I gotta process in the right way, I gotta declare the right thing, I gotta believe the right thing, I gotta say all the right things, I gotta feel all the right things. And it puts all the pressure on you to be big enough, strong enough, work hard enough to make it to the other side. And you know, in, in the spirit of adoption, in the spirit of the kingdom, we don't win our wars by our own strength. We live from the victory of Jesus. We win our battles from the nature of our God and nothing about the nature of God for all of eternity will change based on what you do or do not do. He is unchanging and he, he alone who is who has, has won every war before it even starts. And so Jehoshaphat in his honesty turns his face, his afraid face to seek the Lord. And he, he gathers everyone to Jerusalem, to where the temple was. And he starts in the presence of God. He starts gathering the people of God into the temple. And he prays this super famous prayer that starts in verse five, and it, it says he stood in the assembly um, in the temple, and he, he starts reminding himself that he has a God that's bigger than him. He starts reminding himself that, uh, oh God, you know, he's like, in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And he's stirring up the history. He, he dives into um, his promises to Abraham and he's, he starts going down, remember Abraham, your friend. And he's, he is magnifying this story that didn't start with being surrounded by an enemy. It's a story that's been building for generations. And Jehoshaphat, is finding himself in the middle of a story with a God who's outrageously bigger than any person, than any army. And, and Jehoshaphat is, is just magnifying this God. And it's a long, beautiful prayer going through, uh, you know, the story of, of God with his people. And uh, at the end of the prayer, in verse 12, he says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And he, he is using his authority. He's using his love for the people that he has been given stewardship over to to turn his eyes on Jesus. And you know, this is a prophetic song that has been bubbling up in our house for months now. All eyes on King Jesus, all eyes on King Jesus. And you know, the, this is an incredibly appropriate response. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And you know, the most beautiful thing happens when we turn our eyes onto a God that's bigger than us. And what happens is that we discover his eyes are on us. And when Jehoshaphat was stirring up the testimony of the Lord, he wasn't just recounting the things the Lord has done. He, he was recounting who the Lord has been. And when we talk about 
putting the testimony in front of us that we go to war with the promise and the testimony of the Lord. It, it's that those testimonies, our history with the Lord, have left us imprinted with his true nature. Every time we have seen a miracle, every time we have seen um, God come through and be faithful to his promise, it, you know, it, it says in the Bible that Moses was acquainted with the ways of God, but Israel was acquainted with the acts of God. And true intimacy leads the things that that God has done and that we allow it to lead us into deeper places in his heart. And you know, I've just been recounting over these last couple months just financial testimonies that have been embedded in to Justin and I's history with the Lord. And a few of them that keep coming up are uh, during this season, I, I was pregnant with our first baby and we had like $2 uh, and there wasn't a coronavirus. So that was a thing. And um, I had gone through the whole budget and, uh, you know, I... I realized in the middle of the night one night, I, I never wrote diapers into the budget and we had like $2 left over. I hadn't considered any of the financial needs caring for another human being would have on our finances. And I was overwhelmed with anxiety. And it was a season of wrestling through the honesty of having to confront, okay, this is how big I see my God as. And I had to let it challenge, am I the biggest person caring for this baby? Am I the biggest person caring for me? And confronting that orphan spirit that says you have to get it right, you have to do it right, you have to budget it down to the penny, or you're going to die. You're, you're going to be left stranded and abandoned. And, uh, you know, in that season the Lord kept challenging us to live with an open hand, risk on my nature, take a step forward on believing and trusting my care for you. And we were out of town during this season and Justin had felt like, uh, I've, you know, he's like, babe, I just feel like I need to leave $20 for our friend and just secretly do it. Uh, but I feel a little embarrassed because all I have is $20, but I just feel like I'm supposed to obey. So I'm like, babe, just do it. Just obey. So he's like, I just, I left it on a steering wheel. So he'll just find it when he gets in the car. So great. Didn't think another thing about it. We got home from the trip and the car that had been parked at our house, we get in that car a couple days later, and we find a check for $200 on our steering wheel, the very place he had left the $20 bill. Listen, this was like 14 years ago, so, so that $200 was gone like the next day. So it's not, it's not the act that remains. It's the nature of God that will carry life on that testimony as long as I'm breathing. Because what, what, what was imprinted in my heart was, I am seeing you. I see you. I see you. And what, we, what happens when we, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. When we turn our eyes to him, what we find is a God who was already looking at us. And, you know, I've been deeply impacted in this season by the work of this uh, brain scientist 
guy who's deeply committed to Jesus named Kurt Thompson. And one of the things his research found was that every baby, he says, comes into the world looking for who is looking for her. And your brain throughout the whole of your life will never stop looking for who is looking for me. And our God, the first, the opening act is coming into the garden looking, you know, for Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? And, and takes an, uh, generation after generation to build upon a story of a Messiah who would come to heal our bent to hide, to heal our bent, to turn our gaze in shame away from the Lord. But our healing comes when we can turn our eyes and make eye contact, no matter what's going on in your soul. If you're terrified, I look at you and I see you looking at me. And you know, um, Jehoshaphat just models for us that wisdom is turning our eyes to the face of the Lord. And uh, in verse 13, it says that all of Judah stood before the Lord, stood in the presence of the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel and he began to prophesy the word of the Lord. And, you know, one of the beautiful things that we see in war is that our focus gets refined. What truly matters rises to the surface. It, it becomes a fire that reduces down our purpose, our calling, our assignment, what, what we were truly destined to be and do on the earth. And we see all of Judah grabbing their children, grabbing their wives and standing before the face of the Lord. And wartime actually reduced them down to um, this, this is no longer about anything but people and the presence. And what we're finding in this season is we are getting reduced down to be about the presence and people, the presence and people. What's gonna move us forward into courage, into taking the land that is rightfully ours and confronting an enemy who is violating, violating in an in unjust way is people and the presence, people and the presence. And there is a legacy building as little children are watching fathers and mothers and grandparents in the faith respond to war by gathering around the presence. And, you know, um, prophecy comes out in a response to them seeking the Lord. And he says, this is what the Lord is saying to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground, and all of Judea 
every inhabitant of Jerusalem with him and they postured their heart in worship before the Lord and they praised God in shouts uh, responding to the word of the Lord. And you know, this response from the Lord is so beautiful because you know, over and over we hear in scripture, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. And always after it comes the promise, for I will be with you. And, and this fire is refining them down to, we're not gonna trust in a brilliant military strategy. We're not gonna trust in our chariots, in our horses. We're not gonna trust in our own acts. We're not gonna trust in our own works. We're gonna trust in the nature of our God. And you know, do not fear a religious spirit knows the right answer. Well, don't be afraid, you know? Like the, the world is terrified right now. And, and we see that in the lack of toilet paper alone, everywhere. There's no toilet paper. And, you know, it's not helpful when we are shouting back, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. You know, that word dismayed means shattered. Because, you know, the reason we don't have a spirit of fear any longer, Romans 8 says, is because we have received the spirit of sonship. So that promise, do not be afraid, is meant not, not to be a command, but an experience, an encounter with the perfect love of a good father. It's, it's meant to be close enough to his face to be whispered. And, you know, we, we see it in childlike nature. Like my girls, when they get afraid, like in the middle of the night, one of them has a nightmare. Um, the first thing they do is they run to me. They run to Justin. They, they run to love because fear isn't meant to be something we take care of ourselves. It's meant to be something that is absorbed by the love of God, that's overwhelmed by the love of God. And, and what does a good parent do? A good parent pulls them into our chest and, and we get close enough to whisper, oh honey, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. You're okay. This, this can only end brilliantly. And what is the father saying? It's okay. Don't be afraid. Stand still. Watch what I'm going to do for you. Watch, watch how I'm going to deliver you. This is going to end in your favor. And so the next day, the people of God rise early and and they uh, send the worshipers out to battle first. And what are they singing about? They're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So they're literally singing. Their, their weapon is the nature of God. Their weapon is the kindness of God. His love has never failed. And the enemy is so confused you know, hearing the sound of celebration over the nature of their God, that they start turning on one another. And, you know, the Bible says uh, they all helped destroy one another. 
And in verse 24, it says, when Judah came up to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked towards the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground and no one had escaped. (laughs) And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. So the people of God are singing about the love of God, about the nature of God all the way up to battle. And they get to the battleground and the the enemy is literally at their feet. They're literally, the Bible says, rejoicing over their enemy because he's dead on the ground. And it is a prophetic picture of what we talk about as new covenant believers, that we live from victory, not for victory. That our role on the earth is to show up, is to show up with a song in our heart about the love of God. And we find every enemy has been placed under our feet because we house the nature of the living God. We house the resurrected Christ. And Jesus had his finest hour in the dark. And who do we know who who also took three days to carry spoil from the enemy? And Jesus, um, you know, endured the agony of the crucifixion and took three days to, to make his way into the lowest places of darkness to take back every key from the enemy, to take back everything that was stolen and for all of eternity, put the enemy under his feet. And you know, the, the word that I've had in my heart as we've been navigating this is this picture of you, you are not just gonna make it through your health isn't just going to make it through this coronavirus. Your, your finances aren't just going to make it through. You're going to come out on the other side of this with three days worth of spoil, with, with more than you can actually carry. And we know that new covenant spoil isn't just about material things. It's signs, wonders, miracles. It's everything that the enemy has been stealing from your inheritance for generations. It, it's called retribution. It's called, it's called payback. It, it is called Jesus getting his full reward. And, you know, a, a spirit of fear wants you to start imagining your future at the other side of this with less. But the spirit of sonship sees a father who's so much bigger than anything we see in the natural. And a spirit of of victory, of the resurrected nature of Jesus is prophesying you're gonna come out of this healthier than you've ever been. Your family is gonna come out out of this more prosperous, more connected, more alive. That, you know, there's a verse in Song of Solomon that says, today is the day of your destiny. Can you discern it? And you know what the enemy has meant for evil, the Lord is gonna turn for abundantly above and beyond all you could ever ask, imagine, or think. And today we get to step into the perfect love of God and raise our expectation that this is the season that the prophetic words I've been holding close to my heart are gonna come to pass. This is the season that upgrade, living from my heavenly seat, like I've dreamt and imagined that now is the time that 
the people of God have their finest hour in the dark. So we, we are praying that over you. We are believing that over you. And, and we just love you so much. And it, it, it is an honor for us to, to like Jesus in Acts 10.38. Have you not heard of Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil? And when we see darkness, we run towards it because that, that, this valley where they took the spoil, to this day, the Bible says, it's called the Valley of Blessing. And he takes the darkest, scariest valleys and he, he builds a memorial and says, this is the place I will bless, not just you, but your children's children's children. And so that, that's where our expectation is. We're navigating, we're navigating this from the absolute sufficiency in the victory of Jesus towards the reality of the earth. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.